uh, let's thank the team for uh, leading us today and the people that you don't see out in the vision room. When we sang the song Oceans, oh, just that was so awesome, seeing all of that waves and stuff crashing around the background. So let's give a hand for the people out in the vision room. Well done, you guys. Awesome. Please take a seat. It's fantastic to share with you today. My topic is gardening. Gardening, eh? Gardening. It's the great divide. There are people with green thumbs like Beryl in our church, and there are people with all thumbs like me. And Jerry Seinfeld, who said, I have no plants in my house. They won't live for me. Some of them don't even wait to die. They commit suicide. (laughs) Here are some gardening truths that I have learned. Annuals means disappointment once a year. Your lawn is always slightly bigger than your desire to mow it. Whichever garden tool you want to use, it's always at the back of the shed. The only way to ensure rain is to give the garden a great soaking. Weeds grow precisely at the rate that you pull them out. Nothing ever looks like it does on the seed packet. And... Autumn follows summer, winter follows autumn, and drought follows planting. The only way to guarantee some colour in your garden is to buy a garden gnome. And this one I really like because it's so true. However bare your lawn, grass will always appear in the cracks between your pavers. Growing up in a rural economy, Jesus used lots of rural illustrations, planting illustrations, gardening illustrations. The difference with his illustrations were that they pointed to the real truth of gardening. He used a really famous illustration to illustrate fruitfulness and health. And today I want to welcome you to the Grow series in our church over the next few weeks and all the people online over the next few weeks. We're going to be exploring Christian life, growth and fruitfulness in the 21st century. Our key scripture is John 15. So let's have a look at that on the screen and we'll read that to kick off our series. I am a true sprouting vine. And the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I've spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain in life union with me. For I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I'm the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, 
you're powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Let's pray. Father, we all want to grow. We all want to be useful. We want to be fruitful in your kingdom. Lead us today as we consider how we can maintain this life union with you, how we can grow as your disciples, and how we can measure that growth in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's an interesting thing, gardening and growth. And I think what I'm going to explore this morning is the principle of growth and then two ways that we can measure growth in our Christian life. It's all based on not really our own effort, but it's based on staying in that life union with Jesus as the vine. So my first point, if you like, is to live is to grow. Uh, in the science of growth, or what is, it, what is growth, I read that all living organisms grow. That's just what they do. They're alive, they grow. John 15, 2 said, Jesus will lift, prop, and prune. Or the, the Father will lift, prop, and prune. So every organism begins life as a single cell. All cells grow, and development is the part of the growth process. It just happens. So we're going to look at how the vine dresser lifts, props, and prunes in this point. But if we go to Mark chapter 4 for a minute, in Mark chapter 4, 26 to 28, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. Now, this is the key. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then heads of wheat are formed, and finally, the grain ripens. Jesus is using that as an illustration to show that this growth and development is happening all the time. We don't understand it. There's a mystery there. But it's inherent in the life. Now, the aim is not just merely to grow, but it's to transform. Um, we're aiming for fruit, not just to be fat. Um, the development and this transformation, it's so dramatic and it's so wonderful. And I watched lots of these time-lapse photography things in preparation for this. I, I watched... Lima beans, I think it was called, and I watched a monarch butterfly being transformed from a little, very colourful grub into a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> and there was also, um, I watched the, um, they've taken cameras somehow inside in a mother's womb and they've watched the development of a little baby from like mini, very tiny could hardly tell it was anything, to 
what looked like a baby elephant to um, the well that's what I thought it looked like and then and then it it grew and grew and grew and kept transforming and then all of a sudden you see these fingers and hands it's it's dramatic transformation Paul spoke about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 14 he says since we believe that Christ died for all we also believe that we have all died to our old life now here's the crux of it this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is the transformation. We all grow, uh, are born into sin. We are all sinful. We encounter Jesus. We have the opportunity to start a new life. And in that transition, that transformation that takes place, we become new creatures. The old has passed, the new has come. But the life that we live is not our own life anymore. It's a life connected in life union with Jesus, the vine and the father. And according to our text, the, the father lifts, props and prunes to promote growth and our development. So I was thinking about this. Lifting is like we have a new life of humility that pride is the thing that we lift ourselves in humility Jesus lifts us God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble you'll find that in first Peter chapter 5 he gives grace to the humble and at the right time he will lift you up and it's humility expressed as we relate with one another not thinking of ourselves better than anyone else and not having a false humility, but really having an understanding that God will lift us up, give us a place at the right time. And the Father also props up the vine. This is a new life of dependence. Again, in First Peter, we read, In his kindness, God called you to share his eternal glory. So after you've suffered a little while, God will restore, and here's the thing, he will support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. So we've got a new life of dependence. We're depending on God's strength, we're depending on God's support, and we're depending on the firm foundation that God has laid for us. And then the vine dresser prunes the branches that are already bearing fruit. He cuts them off. And I was saying to Kathy yesterday, this is so opposite what we, what we think about in our modern society. If we think about growth, we think of it bigger, bigger, bigger. In God's economy, he's thinking growth, let's prune back so that we can have more fruit. The aim is always fruit. It's not necessarily bigger, bigger, bigger. It's fruitfulness. And... Um, the pruning process spoke to me of discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's a long discourse about discipline and how God disciplines those who he loves. And when we receive that discipline from God, he's treating us as if, in reality, we are his children because every father disciplines their children. And then he says, at the end of that discourse, he says, the result of this will be a peaceful harvest of right living. 
So that pruning, it might seem uncomfortable, it might seem distressing at the time, but there's an assurance that we are loved. The Lord disciplines those he loves. There's an assurance of our paternity. God is our father, and the father disciplines his children. And there's an assurance of peace. So in the pruning process, we have assurance of God's love, that he is our father, and that there will be a harvest, a peaceful harvest of right living. So that was the first thing. If we're alive, we grow. Second thing is, and this is a test now or a, a way in which we can measure our growth, I've called this point, you've got your mother's eyes. In John chapter 15 and verse 4, Jesus is speaking and he reminds us that we must remain. There's a reminder that we must remain. So the first growth measure, if you like, we can apply this to our lives, is all organisms share common characteristics with their parents. That's why I call this, you've got your mother's eyes. Um, and the question that I would use to measure my growth is, how much do, does my life look like the life of Jesus? How much does my life reflect the characteristics of Jesus? Just recently, Kathy and I were in New Zealand, and we stayed with my sister in Picton uh, for two nights. And one of the mornings when uh, we were out having breakfast, I was sitting at the table and Kathy and my sister Yvonne were talking over in the lounge room. And at one point, Kathy was telling me that my sister started to tear up. Uh, and on explanation, Kathy asked her, why, why are you, what's the trouble? And she said, I've just looked at Clive and the way that he was holding his head or the way that he turned in the light or something just reminded me of my dad. And that's, that's, I think, how we need to be in the world. We need to be people that we have a certain look, we have a certain way, manner that we do things, and people say, that just looks like Jesus. That just looks like God. We used to have a funny storybook that we'd read to our kids, and it was um, along the same lines of, you know, he's got his father's eyes, he's got his mother's nose, he's got his uncle's ears. And uh, every page there was the little boy who was, he couldn't see into the crib to see what his baby brother looked like. But every, all the adults were saying, oh, he's got Auntie Myrtle's chin and all this kind of stuff. And the little boy was having these kind of visions of what his brother was going to look like. You could imagine with Uncle Brian's ears. And, and in the end, when he did get to peek into the baby's crib, he said, he looks just like me. In John 14, chapter 6, Jesus told the people, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? And here it is, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? 
So the spiritual outcome of this life union and Christian growth is a closer resemblance to be more like Jesus, who in himself has shown us the Father. So in other words, the Father is revealed through Jesus. Jesus is revealed in us, and we reveal Jesus to the world. So I thought, what are some of the characteristics of Jesus that speak about the heart of the Father? And can I see those characteristics in my life? Now, gosh, there's so many characteristics that you could pick. In the, So here's a very short list of some of the characteristics. And I ask myself this question, how much am I like Jesus in regard to these characteristics? So first of all, first thing I ask myself, or I saw was Jesus treated all people equally. So how am I going there? So there's no age, race, or social distinction. Jesus didn't kind of spend time with someone to be politically correct. Um, and the only example I could think of was when, when I'm at school, my school runs from kindergarten to year 12. So I will always um, have a range of people to relate with, teachers, other staff, as well as kindergarten kids through to year 12 students and parents. So my challenge there, if I want to be more like Jesus, is to give everyone the same airtime, to treat every person exactly the same, whether a little kindy kid or the principal, to be, able to, to be able to show no partiality, no preference, no kind of distinction, and not just to spend time with the kindy kid and, and kind of not really listen, but really listen to what they're saying and the question they may be asking. So I've got some work to do in that. As Jesus showed his love for the poor and the marginalised, I'm not going so good on this measure so far because I thought, well, yeah, Kathy and I, we have sponsored children in other countries. Um, we support the work of Mountains Care in our church here. And I began to think, what do I actually... It's all kind of at a bit of an arm's length. What do I actually do personally? How do I approach or treat, um, relate with people in those kind of stratas of society. I realise that's another area that I've got to work hard at. But as I stay connected in life union with the vine, when opportunities come up, then I can feel more like I can do this because it's not really me that's doing it. I'm using the resource that God's given to me. That, you know, we spoke about the propping up and the strengthening, the foundation, all of that stuff comes into play. Well, Jesus displayed humility, not asserting his right or position. I said to Kathy yesterday, well, I'm doing pretty well at humility. <laughs> I went to one of the teachers at my school had a 50-year uh, teaching. He's been teaching for 50 years. We had a celebration last Saturday night, and um, I was asked to, to bring a song for that event. And uh, so I turned up at the event, I put my stuff down at a table and was talking with the people at that table and some of the organisers came up and said, no, please, we want you to come and sit here at the table with Warren, who was the teacher, and his wife. And I thought, that's just so much like um, 
what Jesus said, don't pick the best place because it might be that they'll ask you to move and go, go to a lower place. So I, I didn't intentionally pick a place outside. I just went where I would normally go and they asked me to come up. So, yeah, I think we all have to work at humility. But um, that was just a little example. Jesus forgave his enemies. Now, being aware of this each day is a really important thing because you can't carry it with you. If you carry it with you, unforgiveness that is, then you're going to be, it's going to be building up. You're banking it, if you like. You're depositing it and there's going to be, at some point there's going to be a major withdrawal. So it's better to just do small deposit, deal with it and get it out of the way. Uh, For example, on Friday morning I was driving to school early, going down Old Bathurst Road. Um, There was a driver in a white Toyota Corolla with green P plates, registration number. Um, who was, he was so close to my tail that I couldn't actually see any of his bonnet. All I could see was right into the windscreen in my rear vision mirror. When I got down to just, just near where you turn off to go to Tim's house, um, the road straightens up and he pulled out and overtook on a double white line and just zoomed off into the distance, overtaking several other cars um, along the way. And I thought, I have an opportunity here to, to respond. <laughs> and the way, the way I respond could be, uh, could be either a, a big unforgiveness or a big forgiveness. I could have flashed my lights, tooted my horn. I could have even chased after him. Um, anyway, I didn't do any of that. And as I was driving sedately on to school, I was saying, God bless that guy. He's probably late for work. Maybe he's missing his shift. Could have been on the, you know, maybe his wife's having a baby. I don't know. But I didn't carry it with me. Be quick to forgive. And the last one I thought was that Jesus offered his life sacrificially. How am I going with that? Well, one of the teachers that I've had the pleasure to to teach with over the years, the deputy principal, Um, in New Zealand, she had this saying that whenever you put your personal agenda aside for another person, that's laying down your life for that person. So if you're out doing something and someone comes and asks you for something else which wasn't on the agenda, if you put your agenda aside and help that person out, you've actually laid down your life for that person at that point. And um, so, again, when we were in New Zealand, we were at the petrol station filling up our um, car uh, at $2.43 a litre. <laughs> yeah, amazing, isn't it? Um, and this guy walks up onto the, um, onto the area where we were filling the car up, and he said, can you help me? Um, I've got a flat tyre, and I can't get the wheel nuts off. And... Um, so the friend that we were with and myself, we said, yeah, we'll help you. So we went up and about 25 minutes later, we had the guy going on his funny little spare tyre that looked like a motorbike wheel. And um, we went on our way. But that was an example of leave, leaving aside your own agenda and 
doing something to benefit someone else. So remember that growth can only be achieved by remaining in life union with Christ. Growth will happen as we remember to remain. Remember to remain. I want to be so in life union with Christ that people will look at me and look at us Christians and they won't be able to tell where the vine ends and the branch begins. To be so resembling the vine that as a branch, they won't be able to say, oh, this is branch and that's vine. It'll be so closely connected. And, and thirdly, so if we've kind of defined what growth is, to live is to grow, and, and we've had a look at one measure, which is how much do I resemble Jesus? I want to suggest another measure that comes from this passage, and I've called this one, When Did I Become My Father? Uh, in John 15, verse 7, Jesus reminds us that we've got to have his words powerfully within us, powerfully within us. So the growth measure that I see here is that cell growth and development includes repairing of cells, renewal of cells, and maturing of cells. So my question is, is the word of God alive and powerful in my thinking and my speech? So you might have examples of times when you've blurted out things to your own children or to your workmates or even to your spouse or friends and you think to yourself, these are things that my parents used to say to me. And that's why I called it, when did I become my father? Here's a couple that I remember from my dad. When sitting in the lounge chair with his eyes closed, snoring away, You'd turn the television off and you'd immediately wake up and say, I'm not sleeping, I was just resting my eyes. That's a pretty typical one. Dad was a builder, so he would often come out with these really great building quotes. Measure twice, cut once. Work hard, be patient. Um, think how long a job will take. Times it by three and you'll be pretty close Another one he used to say, would you like to move out of the way? You're not made of glass. That was a common one. You can call me anything, but don't call me late for dinner. And probably lots of people have got these ones in their own family. But this is, he used to say, don't complain. When I was your age, <laughs> yeah, I can see. He, his one was, when I was your age, we walked to school barefoot. In John 14, chapter 10, We've already looked at it, but Jesus says a little bit later on, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me. He does his work through me. So the words that Jesus spoke were not his own. It became like second nature for Jesus to speak the words of the Father. And I think that's a good measure for us. Is it second nature for us to speak the words of the Father, the things we find in Scripture, are they things that are so part of our mind and our thinking that they come out in our conversation? You probably will be aware of the verse in Second Timothy chapter 3 and 16, which talks about the Scripture, saying it's 
all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the word of God is to prepare and equip us. And then we use the word of God. So I I came up with a few questions to assess how deep our life union with God is and how his work has influenced our communication and interaction with other people. So I asked myself these questions. And uh, you could do the same in your situation. Do the words of scripture inform and activate my decisions and discussion? Do the words of scripture inform and activate my decisions and discussions? So you might be aware currently that there's a very big uh, push in the anti-discrimination legislation against uh, Christian schools. And the, the move is um, very, it's very political, uh, but it's also public opinion. There's a lot of public opinion. Um, the polit- political agenda hasn't really been touched yet. But I've got to, in that situation at my school, which is a Christian school, I have to be careful to be gracious in bringing the word of God into any discussion and into any decision that I might make concerning this anti um, discrimination legislation and it's all it's all come about through the lobbying of a few um, people in uh, saying well why don't you why should christian schools be any different than why should they be allowed to only employ christian teachers why can't they employ gay teachers why can't they employ um people who uh, have a different philosophy. Um, and uh, so I have to be careful when I'm discussing that with people, as you can probably hear I'm trying to measure my words now, that uh, I bring the grace of God through the, the word of God into discussion. So that's an ongoing thing. But there may be issues for you in your life where you'll see that it's important for you to also flavor your conversation with the word of God and the grace of God. The second question I asked myself was, does scriptural principle educate my response to the 21st century cultural norms? Now, I asked myself this question because last weekend from this platform, Dr. Patricia Wirakun spoke so soundly about how a Christian should respond in the 21st century to all range of different topics and one of them was, she spoke, we're no longer in the postmodern um, society. We've moved from postmodernism to post-truth society. And in this generation of post-truth, there are no absolutes. The only thing that is guiding is our desire. Desire is the, the thing which guides people in the post-truth generation. But how does scripture speak into that? And she spoke so beautifully about um, in discussion with with people that uh, of various gender, um, the big thing that she brought out from the scripture was love. To love people—that's the 
the main thing that any, any person of any gender that they like to ascribe to themselves, they cannot argue with love. They do not have um, an argument against love, a person showing love to them. So the scripture can speak into that. Thirdly, do I actively seek to meditate on scripture for discipleship purpose? Am I intentionally spending time reading, chewing, digesting, not just glancing over quickly the scripture? I think that's one of the prime ways that we can get the scripture into our mind and use it powerfully within us is to allow that word to meditate and to regurgitate the word, to chew it again, to puzzle over, to, to muse upon the word of God and not be in a rush. So, you know, there's so many Bible reading programs and things that you can get involved with and there's a certain number of things that you have to do every day. I've actually begun, I used to be on that bandwagon, but I've actually begun to think, hey, if, it, if it's going to take me three weeks to read through Colossians or three weeks to go through the Acts of the Apostles, it doesn't really matter because what I am doing in the process of doing that is I am filling my mind and it's working powerfully within. So I get to ask all the questions. I get time to research. I get time to look up different things. So tick one, at least I'm working on that one. Fourthly, does the Bible leak into my conversation with believers and non-believers? Is it so much a part of me that it spills out, it leaks? In the leaking, maybe it will help other people to grow. It could be, uh, in my situation, I have a bunch of year nine boys that I meet with every lunchtime. Uh, I would say there's eight of them. I would say that three, maybe four of them are, are Christian and and have a, a belief in Jesus as their saviour. Uh, the other half, if not the majority, are non-Christian. Um, some There are two that are quite antagonistic. And we've been doing uh, a look at the Gospel of Mark, and we were looking the other day at the, the story where Jairus comes to Jesus and says, would you come to my house? My daughter's really sick. And on the way to get to Jairus's house, the lady with the issue of blood touches Jesus and there's an incident that happens and Jesus stops and talks to the lady and then he goes on his way to Jairus's house and we were talking about how Jesus is interruptible he's he's on his way to do one thing someone stops him and he's happy to stop and I drew the point from that to the boys that Jesus is never too busy for you. Never too busy for you. And it's as simple as asking him. And uh, at that point, even the antagonistic boy was quiet. So I don't know how far it went into his brain, into his thinking process. But it's the idea that in the course of the conversation, we can drop in little thoughts that we've also received ourselves little revelations and maybe that will leak into a person another person and help them to grow so we've looked at we grow as a result of life it's like i garden therefore i weed 
There's always going to be weeds in the garden. You're always going to have to be pulling them out. But as long as you have a garden, you're going to have weeds. As long as you're alive, you're going to grow. But the outcome of the natural spiritual life union with the vine is that growth and transformation will happen. And that's what we're after. Not just growth. We're after transformation. And we've looked at the fact that growth is a product and a process of change. It doesn't happen overnight. We looked at two measures this morning. How much do I resemble Jesus? And how much is the word working powerfully within? Now, as Marilyn said from the platform last week, we can never actually say that we've arrived, but at least we can say that we've left. And so in terms of growth and transformation, all of us are on a journey. But we can take stock. We can assess how we're going, what our growth rate is like. We can pray to God for grace. The key thing from this morning, if you take nothing else away, we must stay in life union with Jesus in order to grow and transform. Now, perhaps you're listening to the message today and you're thinking, I don't actually know Jesus. I would like to know Jesus, but I don't actually know him. Then I've got good news because one of the verses that I read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. So there's an opportunity for all of us today to begin a new, fresh start, new life. If, if we're in the position today where we can, don't fully understand, fully know Jesus, today can be a new start, a new life, fresh start. And then we can begin that growing life union with the vine. So if you, in you're that, in that position today, if you're feeling like that's me, then we're going to pray a prayer which will bring that transformation, that new life about. And it's an important prayer. It's a prayer of dedication to God. It's a prayer of asking forgiveness from God for the things we've done. And it's a prayer that puts ourselves into the hand of God. So... Let's all pray it together and uh, maybe you're going to be praying it for the first time today. But we'll pray together with you. Just repeat after me as we pray. Let's bow our heads. and Father, we thank you for the vine. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus came to bring new life. Today, Lord, I receive that new life. I want to live in life union with Jesus. I'm sorry for the the past sins that I have committed. I thank you for your forgiveness and grace. Help me to move on from this point. Connected to the vine. Looking to him for grace and love. Support and props and pruning as necessary.
Lord, I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, and if you've been online and you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, we would love to make contact with you and give you a Bible to help you along the way. Please come and speak to someone at the information desk in the foyer after the service. Uh, God bless you all, and let's all stay in life union with the vine this week. In Jesus' name.